Okay, we're starting here with the Mishnah on Kuv Gimel and Aleph. The Mishnah begins, a Choresh Kol Shuhu. If you plow any amount, Haminakesh, someone who is weeding, Vehamikarsem, Vehamizareid, Kol Shuhu. Karsem and Mizareid are both forms of pruning, just different periods of time with regards to the tree. Mikarsem is when you take off the dead branches, the dried out branches, pruning it in that way. Mizareid is when you prune the new branches that have come out, the moist or brand new branches, but there are too many of them. So you prune back a number of those branches. Any amount of that is chayav. Hamalakate etzim. Someone who gathers in wood from the ground, sticks from the ground. Imlitakane. If he's doing it to clear the area or to fix the ground, poshain, then any amount is problematic. Imlitakane. If he's using it to fire up the oven, the stove, then kadei the vashel kala. Then it's the amount that it would take to cook a quick beitza. Again, we've said before this is the chicken's egg that is scrambled. They put it in a frying pan. It's the amount of wood that it would take to cook such an egg. Hamalakeit asavim, someone who is collecting grass, greenery of some sort. Imlitakein. Again, if he's doing it to clear the area, then it's koshu. Imlitbehima. If he's using it for feed for an animal, it's melopi agdi. And the amount that would fit into the mouth of agdi. Where it says, what do you mean a choresh koshu? You plow any amount in the field, you clear any amount of the field, weed any plant in the field, what, what is it useful for? What can you do there? It says, chazi the bizra dekra. It is good for the planting of a single board, single seed of a delat. Kavata gabi mishkan. In the Mishkan, they had the same thing. Shekain ra'oi, the kelech echad shel smanim. In the Mishkan, they had the same thing. It was ra'oi for a single stalk of whatever herb that they were looking for, whatever dye they were trying to grow. If a single stalk, that would be significant. Now, Rashi points this out, that before, by Hotza'ah, we said that it's only significant if you carry out two seeds of a delat. So how come over here, one is enough? The difference being, and we mentioned this there as well, over there we're talking about when you're carrying out, when a person goes to take out the seeds, then it's only considered significant when you take out two seeds. But first of all, once something's grown for sure, and even when you're planting, if you plant a single seed, then that is significant enough that we would consider you to be culpable in these cases, even though nobody would take out just one seed. But if you already did it, and you planted one seed, that is already significant in this context. So, Tan Rabbanan, Tulesh Ushin, someone who is picking endives, Vamizareid Zradim, or they are pruning off the small branches, Imla if they're doing it for eating purposes. So here by Zradim, before we said they were the new branches, the small branches that are edible, so that's why they're picking them off to eat. Then, Grugo Geret, then they are the size of a fig size, imle behema, if it's for an animal, kplo piagdi, then it's the mouth that fills the mouth of agdi, and over here again, Tosafot says that it has to be, then when it's for the behema, that it's not ra'ui adam. So it's ra'ui adam, we'd go with the smaller shear of grogeret, not the amount that fills the mouth of the gdi, of the goat or the kid, because why should you defer or default to the larger shiyum? Imle hasek, if it's for firing up the stove, kedele vashel bitzakola. In the amount that it would take to cook a quick cooking egg, a light egg, which is the chicken's egg, scrambled in a frying pan. In the apota da karkov, he's doing it to clear off the land or make it nice. Koshen, than any amount, just like our Mishnah says. Mar says, ato kuhu loli apota da karkoninu. In all these instances, when you do any of these avodot, you end up benefiting the land. Meaning that you make it look nice, you're doing something that's beneficial to whatever is growing there or to the land that's there. Rabbi Rav Yosef, talking about in public property or an area where it makes no difference. People don't plant there anyway. Abayamar, 
Let us say it's even in a field that is not of public property or not where people plant. We could go into Lomi He's not doing it intentionally. It's an unintended consequence of what he's doing. That he is doing any of these activities. The unintended consequence is that it also beautifies the land and makes it nicer. It says, Rabbi Shimon is of the opinion Shabbat is mutar. So that's the opinion we're clearly relying on here. But he says, that if you pop off the head of the chicken and it's not going to die, of course it's going to die. This is not just an unintentional consequence. This is a inevitable consequence. And since it's an inevitable consequence, therefore you're going to be chayaf because there is no such thing as darein mit kavein when you have pasigreshe. For instance, He's doing it in his friend's field. So when he does it in his friend's field, then... Yes, he's the beneficiary of his action, but the inevitable consequence, or the unintentional consequence is happening in his friend's field where it's not benefiting him, where it's doing nothing to benefit him, and therefore we don't worry about the post Rashi over here says something, it's an important statement that he makes, says, well, says he doesn't really care about it. Now, the problem with that is, that would imply that all you have to have in order for post not to be a problem you would have to just be loich as long as you just don't care about the outcome. It's only when you want the outcome or you're positive on the outcome would it be a problem. But if you're indifferent about the outcome, according to Rashi here, it sounds like that you would be fine, mutar, wouldn't be a problem with pasigreshe. Now, he sounds like that way from the Gemara, because it says, which would sound like what Rashi is saying over here. The problem is that if you go back to Rashi and Ayin Heyom and Aleph, over there when the Gemara talks about pasigreshe, that was the last time we spoke about it, there, Rashi says, Lo Ichpatlei is the classic case of Pasuk Reishe. The only time it's not considered Pasuk Reishe is when it's Dolo Nechalei. When you don't want the outcome. That's over there when he was Potseya to get the blood out for the Techelet. So over there, Rashi says, you don't want the outcome. Don't want it to die, because as long as it's live, it's better for you. So there, because you don't want the outcome, then it's okay. But if Lo Ichpatlei, if you're indifferent about it, then you would be Chayav. Rashi over there says, Lo Ichbatlei is Chayav, is Pasigration. Over here he says that it's not considered to be Pasigration. So it's a steer in Rashi. You can see Rabbi Vega points it out, but it makes a big difference in how you view Pasigration to Lo Nechalei. Tosavot brings over here the famous sheet of the Oroch. The famous sheet of the Oroch is that by Pasigration of Lo Nechalei, it's Mutar the Gamre. If you do something that is an inevitable consequence, if it's not what you want, and you don't really need the outcome, and you're not interested in the outcome, and it actually might even be detrimental, then it's mutar legamre, according to the Aruch. The best examples, he has a couple of examples, Argumara is one of them, that here, when you do it in your friend's yard, the Pasuk you don't care about the outcome, you really don't even want the outcome of fixing up his land, you simply want the items that you're taking. And therefore, it's mutar legamre over here. The other two places that are a strong support for the position of the Aruch is a Gemara in Zvachim. Gemara in Zvachim talks about sprinkling on the Mizbeach. And the problem with sprinkling on the Mizbeach is that it's Michabeh. It blows out the coals that are on the Mizbeach. So there the Gemara says that the reason that it's okay over here, sprinkling on the Mizbeach, the Yayin, even though it's going to extinguish some of the coals, is because this is the position of Rabbi Shimon. Gemara does not address the issue of, it's a Pasuk Reishe. That's something that's going to inevitably happen. And that's what all the Rishonim deal with. The Rashi over there says, that he doesn't intend to extinguish the coals, and that's why it's Mutar. What about Pasuk Reishe? He says there are ways to get around it. For instance, he sprinkles in such a way that... It doesn't really blow the coals out or that he could have avoided blowing the coals out. 
Again, it sounds like over there because it's Delonechale. He doesn't really want the coals to blow out. When he doesn't want the coals to blow out, then it's fine. Again, it sounds like the Aruch. The most important proof to the Aruch is the Gemara and Sukkah. Gemara and Sukkah says that if you pick berries off your Hadassim on Yom Tov, then it's problematic because you are metaking Kli. You're making the Hadass useful or able to be used on Yom Tov itself. Until now, the Hadass was not kosher to put in the Lulav because it had more berries than leaves. You pick off the berries, now it is able to be used. The Gemara says, isn't that Pesach Isn't that a classic case of Pesach And the Gemara says, oh, the Yishlosh Shoshana Acharita. He has another hadas. If he has another hadas, then he doesn't need this. He doesn't have to do this because he has something else to use. So it's clearly what the Aruch is saying over here that it's a pasuk He wants the berries. He takes the berries off. The fact that he gets another hadas doesn't even need it. He has another hadas there. Sounds like the Aruch in these cases. And those are all cases of pasuk And the Aruch says that means it is mutar. On the other hand, the Tosafot over here argues and the numerous other places in Shas argues on the sheet of the Aruch. It says that is equivalent to, and you can see in the last Tosfot on this, to Malacha She'ein Tzricha the Gufa. It's the same thing as a Malacha She'ein Tzricha the Gufa. It's when you do the Malacha, but you don't necessarily want the outcome. And therefore, we know that Rabbi Shimon holds by Malacha She'ein Tzricha the Gufa that it's Osir Mid Rabbanan. That's why Tosafot holds throughout Chas that a Pesachreshet is Osir Mid Rabbanan because it's a Malacha and over here he says, when the Gemara says that, oh, the Gemara here is only talking on a Doraita level. It's like on a Torah level. It's not dealing with the issue that Midrabanan, it's still a sur. It's not saying it's mutar. It's just saying that it's patur. And that's what our Gemara is working on, on the level of Doraita, not dealing with the tzad that is Midrabanan. But again, over here, it sounds a little bit like the Oroch, which is, if you do a Baradachavre, it sounds like the Gemara thinks it's totally fine. And mutar. And because of that, it sounds like Pesukreshet Olonechele is mutar. Rav Hanan Wasserman in the Kovic Shurim actually tries to give the lumdus behind the difference of opinion between the Aruch and the Tosafot. He suggests that there are two ways to view Pesukreshet when you have an action that leads to another inevitable action. One way to look at it is, because I'm mikavin for action A, then I'm automatically mikavin for action B. But in that scenario, if I specifically have intent not to have a kavana for the second action, it's lo nechali. It's something that I don't want to happen, then you can't claim just because I have kavana for A, I'm having kavana by default for B, because I don't want that to happen. And that would be the shita of the oroch. On the other hand, the tosafod believes that since action A inevitably leads to action B, then my kavana for action A is sufficient for both action A and B. It's as if I have kavana for both of them. And you can't come along and say, oh, I don't want action B. Since they are inexorably intertwined, the two actions, because it's inevitable for B to happen when A happens, then if I have kavana for A, I automatically have kavana for B, and I can't change that fact. And that's the way Tosafot's understanding of Sikresha Delonechale is, and that's why he calls it a malachash ain't tzricha the gufa. Well, I'll send out mikorot that have many of these nuances and different ways of breaking down pasikreshe and the different opinions that are found in the rishonim. Next Mishnah is a kotev shteyotiot. Person writes two letters. Ben bimino, ben bismalo. Whether he wrote with his right hand or his left hand. Ben mishem echad, ben mishte shemot. Whether it's from one type, Rashi says, which is the same letter. They're both the same letter. Ben Mishtei Shemot, whether they are two different letters. Ben Mishtei Smaniot, it's the way Rashi has it. It seems to be the Gersa might have been Simamaniot, which is that it doesn't matter what type of ink you're using, whether you're using Dior or Sikra, whatever you're using that is also considered to be problematic. 
No matter what language you write in, if you write two letters, then you are chayav. All these cases are problematic in terms of writing. Problem with otiot is not the writing of the letters, but what they represent or the symbol that underlies them. And therefore, you can replicate this even without writing actual letters. If you simply make markings. If you make markings on the korot, for instance, you're putting things together, you're marking something, so that when you dismantle it, you're going to put it back together. So you mark a little scratch here and a scratch here so they match up. That will also be problematic on Shabbat. And Roshim is the problem, and Otiot are just a derivative of Roshim. Shikach kotvim mishkan. That's how they did on the boards in Mishkan. They died, Ezo ben Zugo. To know which one matched up with the other one. That the Gemara says in other places that the boards that were on the north were always on the north, those on the south were always on the south, and those on the west were always on the west because they wanted to maintain their relative importance or closeness to the Kodesh Kodoshim. So since they always had to be in the same place, even though technically the boards were all exactly the same and should have been interchangeable, since they wanted to maintain their location, they were Roshim. They marked on them. They put markings on them, whether it was one line, two lines. They made some mark to show that they matched up, and that's how they knew to put the boards together. And that's what Rabbi Yossi says, you are chayab for, in even writing two letters. It says, we find a smaller name out of a bigger name. This we quoted earlier in the Gemara, which is, Shem Mishimon. You can have shame that is a small name that is brought out of Shimon or Shmuel. Noach Minachor, Dan Midaniel, Gad Migadiel. So even though you had intended to write the much longer word, and that was your intent when you started, nevertheless, after two letters, since you've completed something that is a name, that is a word, you are chayav, even if you stop then and you haven't carried out your full intent. We saw this earlier in the Gemara, because the only way to get to Shimon or Shmuel is to go through shame. Shame is a necessary step in getting there, and therefore you did carry out what you intended. You didn't get to the final stage, but you carried enough to be chayav in a malacha. That's the way Rashi reads the Mishnah. The Kiddush is that we know that Shabbat is dependent on malachat machshevet, that whatever your intent is, is the most important part here, that you have to carry out what your intent was. And if your intent is to write the larger word, we would have thought maybe until you write the larger word, you would not be chayav. The Mishnah or the Kiddush is that... Despite that fact that you really intend for the much larger word, once you've completed the smaller word, you're still chayav because that's part and parcel of your intent. Right, but that's the latter. Rabbi Yehuda says the two letters is a word. He says, Shemi Shmuel, Noach Minachor, and Dan Midaniel. The examples he gives are all words that are readable or real without getting to the full word. It has to be something that's readable and makes sense somewhere else. That is a word somewhere else. That, but it's a difference. It's Rabbi Yehuda. We're going to see in the Gemara. There's different opinions here in the Gemara about whether Aleph Aleph works or not. It's exactly one of the differences that's going to come out. Right. The Rambam here, the Rambam Pirshun Mishnayot, is actually has an unusual shita and somewhat difficult shita in this Mishnah. The first thing he says by Simaniot, instead of having what we have, I told you the Girsa might be Simamaniot, he has Simaniot from the word Siman. And the Rambam says that that word means that if you write Aleph, and Aleph there represents the word Echad, then that would be considered or classified as if you wrote two letters. Because since the letter represents something much bigger, it's as if you wrote the two letters. So if, like today where you write Aleph apostrophe on top, that would be a violation of writing two letters because the Aleph represents Echad. Or bet, same thing like that. Other letters where they represent more than what they are there for. In those instances, you be chayav for shteotiot. 
So that's one interesting thing that the Rambam says. He says, That's what it means. That if you write Aleph, Bet, that is considered if you wrote two letters. Then, he also has an unusual opinion in the rest here, which is Rabbi Yossi when you write two letters, you write two letters, it's not because you wrote, because you scrawled, you scribbled, you marked. As Rabbi Yossi explains, Roshem is one of the Avot Melachot, because he is marking on the boards in the Mishkan to keep the boards together. If you write the two letters on the boards, they say this is the 11th board, the 12th board, you'd all have, you'd bet, you'd be chayav, not because of Boteiv, but rather because of Roshem, of marking. Then for Haomer, Mishum Roshem, Munen Roshem, Avot Machot, it chayav Shtayim. What happens now, and this is what the Rambam says, which is somewhat difficult, which is, Kiladat Haomer, Mishum Koteiv, it chayav Avot Machot, person who says that the reason that the Av that you're violating here is when you write two letters is kotev. You write on Shabbat by accident. And then you write two letters afterwards in one forgetting. Then it's one malacha kotev. That's all you've done. The person who says it's because of marking avot malachot In that case, you'll be chayav shtaim when you write the in addition to the writing that you did before. You write an additional. Two letters. Then he says you'll be chayav shtaim, and that's a little bit difficult because what he's suggesting here is that you be chayav for roshem, and you're going to be chayav for kotev, what it seems like. But that's a todah b'makom ma'av, which is not so clear. So this Rambam is a very difficult Rambam in the Perish of Mishnayot, but he seems to indicate that when Rabbi Yossi says it's mishum roshem, it doesn't simply mean that Rabbi Yossi, in addition to kotev, says you're chayav for roshem. He says that kotev is Roshem. And therefore, anything, any type of Ktiva is really a subset of Roshem. And the Roshem is the Av in the Mishkan. The difficulty with that type of conclusion is that the Rambam just said that if a person does some sort of Malacha that is considered to be Roshem, and then writes two Otiyot afterwards that they are Chayav Shtaim, which would indicate that both Tiva and Bishima are considered to be Avot Malachot and separate Avot Malachot. Because if Tiva is a subset of Roshem, then if you're in violation of Roshem, which is the Av, and then in violation of Tiva, which is the Tolada, we know from before in the Gemara that we're not Michayev, the Tolada, but Mokom Ha'av. And that's the difficulty with this Rambam. The Gemara says... On your right hand, it makes sense to say you are chayav because that's the normal way to write. Again, we're talking about a writing. Ella small amai. How could you be chayav for writing with your left hand? Ha ein derch tivabakach. It's the equivalent of kila achariyad. This is something that the, nor- the normal way to carry out the writing. So why should you be culpable for writing with your left hand? yad shanu. Talking about a lefty over here. So that's why you're chayav. Why should this make any sense? For a lefty, it should be that his left hand is like everybody else's right hand. And that means, he'll be chayav for his left hand. And his right hand, he'll be pator. Because for a lefty, it's just the opposite. A lefty, he writes with his left hand, that's called writing. When he writes with his right hand, that's not called writing. That's kila achar yad. So you really haven't solved the problem. You've just shifted the problem from... The right to the left now. Ella Amrabai Bisholate Bishteyadav. We're talking about somebody who's ambidextrous. Somebody who has the ability to write with both hands. And that's why in the Mishnah you are Chayav. Because this person is ambidextrous, therefore he's Chayav both on his right and on his left hand. Implying 
that if he wasn't ambidextrous, for your right hand, you would be chayav for tiva if you wrote with it. With your left hand, it would be kalachayat, unless you hold like Rabbi Yossi, as the Rambam says, because then you'd be roshem. Even with your left hand, you could be roshem, and then you would be chayav for that. And the reverse would be true for a left-handed person. The left hand would be considered writing, and the right hand would be considered roshem. Mara says, Rabbi Yaakov braided by Tiakov. So Rabbi Yaakov, the son of the daughter of Yaakov, which means that his grandfather's name was Yaakov, similar to what they do with Bat Shmuel, that the grandchildren of Shmuel are named after his daughters through the mother and not through the father because the father had some questionable lineage. He was a non-Jew who converted and they were conceived before they had converted. So therefore they left out the father. Same thing over here. It seems like they left out the father's name because it was somebody who was not necessarily worthy to be mentioned over here. So Amar Hamani Rabbi Yossi, who's the author of this position? It's Rabbi Yossi. Amar that he is the one who says that you're chayav mishum roshim. So this is what I just said before, that when you're chayav, you're right in your left hand, one of them is called ketiba, the other one's called roshim. Says one who writes with their right hand, for a righty, that is considered to be writing. Someone who writes with their left hand is considered to be roshim. That he's marking, he's not really writing, because you don't have the dexterity to do such writing with your left hand. Who's the one who's mechayev mishum roshim? That is Rabbi Yossi. So what they're suggesting now is that the author of that position in the mission says you're chayv on left and right, it's not meant anybody, but it's talking because of Roshim. One on your right hand because of Kotev, your left hand because of Roshim. The Gemara says that doesn't make so much sense because Abed the Sefer Rabbi Yossi. Later in the mission it says, Rabbi Yossi Omer, implying that until this point it was not Rabbi Yossi who was speaking. If Mesefer Rabbi Yossi, Reishalab Rabbi Yossi. It says, and like in many other places, Kula Rabbi Yossi. The entire thing is Rabbi Yossi. Yes, they brought up his name later, but he's also the author of the first position. So this is another solution to the problem. Again, we had one solution to the problem is to say that we're talking about somebody who's ambidextrous. The second solution to the problem is to say this is Rabbi Yossi, and the hand that you do not write with is the equivalent of Roshem, and that's why you be chayav in the ratio of the Mishnah. So I'm Rabbi Yehuda Matsino. So this is Rabbi Yehuda, and the Mishnah says we find these shorter names out of the bigger names. So Ella Rabbi Yehuda Shteyotiot Vein Shnei Shemot Hu Demichayev. What you had asked, Ira, from Rabbi Yehuda, it sounds like that two letters that are two different letters, then you're chayav. If you have two letters that are identical, Aleph, Aleph, Bet, Bet, Lo Michayev. He would not be Michayev in that case. Vatanya. Is that really true of Rabbi Yudah's position? It says, Vasachat, that you do one of the Averot. Again, this is by the Korban Chatat. It's found in the beginning of Vayigra. It says there, if you do one, Asachat, Mikol Mitzvot, that you do one of these Mitzvot. So he's focusing here on the Achat. You would think until you write the entire name. Until you weave the entire piece of clothing. Until you finish making the entire sieve or sifter. So that you do some of one. So what is If I would think some of one, I would think maybe you write one letter, that's enough. You only wove one string. If you only did one weave through on the sieve or the sifter. Again, if you think about when you were a kid, you pulled apart the lulav leaves and you wove them together to make into a mat. So you lay out all of the horizontal ones and then you start to weave it. So you take one vertical one and you weave it up, down, up, down. That's called bayit When you weave the second one, which is the reverse of the first one that you put through, that's called shnei batim, and then it actually holds in place. If you remember from that, once you put the second one through, which is opposite the first one going up, down, down, the other one will go down, up, that holds it in place. That's called shnei batim 
It's the same thing as weaving, it's just because it's done with a nafa, with the sifter, they call it batainirim. So here, uh, they call them batim. So now, what we are suggesting over here is that you need the whole thing. Now the Gemara says, well it says me'achat, may means a derivative of. So a derivative of sounds like maybe the minimum would be enough. And the Gemara says, no, Talmud Omar, Pasuk says, achat, has to be a whole. So how do we get something that's a derivative of a whole, but still a whole? You have to write a small name out of a big name. The examples that we saw in the Mishnah. Shame out of Shimon or Shmuel. Noach minachor. Dan midaniel. Gad migadiel. Problem is, Rabbi Yehuda Omer. Even if he wrote two letters, and they're the same letters, Chayav. Kagon. Sheish. Tat. Rar. Gag. Chach. So he says, unlike what he says in the Mishnah, any two letters that seem identical are fine. Right, so that's interesting, very good. So all of these ones that he picked here seem to be that they are words. And as Rashi points out, And not only are they words, they are words from bigger words. But the problem the Gemara had was in the Mishnah, they didn't bring these as examples. So you could have brought Sheish Batsar. So why didn't you bring that as an example of Sheish Mishesh Batsar? That you could have had in the Mishnah. The fact that it didn't bring that example seems to indicate that Ryuda thinks that two letters of the exact same type do not work, even if they are a word. Yet over here, when we quote the Brayta, it seems like Ryuda is explicitly saying that two letters that construct a word is enough, even if they are the same letter. Now the Brayta continues, we're only going to get back to the answer in a little bit, because it's going to bring all the opinions of the Tanaim. Like we saw in the Mishnah, there are multiple deot here. You're not chayav for writing. You're chayav for marking, not for writing. Like he said in our Mishnah, that they used to mark the boards, know which one belonged to the other one. Someone who marked a single line across two boards. Oh, two markings on a single board. Then you are chayav, according to Rabbi Yossi, because that's all you need. You need a marking that gives identification. Either across two boards, you pick a single mark, because then there's a mark on each board. Or two marks on a single board, that's enough. The equivalent of shteotiofrim is shteirishimot. Two markings is enough to be chayav for. Bishimonomer, basa achat. If you do work that is permanent, that stays. Just so you know, in general, there's a machlok about what it means, kiyotseba mitkayemet. Rashi in general means that it means permanent. You do something that will stay in place, that is quasi-irreversible. The Ridva and other of the Rishonim believe that it has to be mitkayemet for Shabbat. It has to be for basically 24 hours. But it has to last the duration of Shabbat. It doesn't have to be something that lasts for weeks on end. It just has to be something that is permanent enough that it lasts through the Shabbat. So that's what the mitkayemet is over here. Right, so that's why they use in times like in the hospitals where the doctors have to do rounds and there is reason to say that we could have dispensation for them to write. So we sometimes allow them Yisurei Durabanan. So one of the things that they use for Yisurei Durabanan is they use pens that only last for less than 24 hours. They use pens with fruit juices that disappear after 24 hours. So they write their notes in those pens and then they have to copy them over or Xerox it after Shabbat because it's going to disappear. It's not permanent. Now, it only helps you because it gets the Yisurei down to Yisurei Durabanan. So in there, it's more if it's necessary and you have an Yisurei Durabanan, it's a lot easier to be makeable with Yisurei Durabanan Versus Yisrael de Oraita. 
Just so you know that you can only get the pens here because they are illegal to have in most countries, including America, because people will sign checks with them. You know what will happen after that. So now, there are two problems with Rabbi Shimon. One problem with Rabbi Shimon is that he says exactly what the Tanakhama said in the Brayta. So that we have to address, because the Tanakhama in this Brayta said exactly what Rabbi Shimon said. And the second thing is, it sounds like Rabbi Shimon is saying somewhat equivalent to what Rabbi Huda said in our Mishnah about the Shem Katani, Shem Gadol. Right, so now, the Gemara says, Rabbi Yossi Omer, Vasa Achat, Vasa Heina. Now we have this drasha, which we've seen numerous times in the, in the sector already, which is that he did one, Vasahina, he did many. And the Pasuk says, Vasahachat me'ina. So now the Gemara says that these are extraneous. You could have either said Vasahachat, you could have said Vasahina. So each of those words, one of them is extraneous, depending on which one you pick. Beyond that, it says, Me'achat me'ina. And the mem, and both of them is extraneous. So because of that, they are doresh, each one of these words, as well as the mem from each word. And that's what Rabbi Yossi says over here. Vasachat, vasahina. Pamim shachayav achat al kulan. Sometimes shachayav one on all of them. Pamim shachayav akolachayav achat. Sometimes shachayav on all of them. Tani mia. Nevertheless, it says, Yudomer, afil loka tavel ashtoyotiot v'shem echad chayav. Now, back to the question, finally. We've had this whole long brighta, which is that, according to Rabbi Yehuda, it sounds like if you wrote two identical letters that were a word, you would be chayav. Unlike our Mishnah, well, all the examples that were used brought were words that were made up of two different letters. It says, Lokasha Adidei Adarabe. One of them is his own opinion. One is the opinion of his Rabbi Detanya. Rabbi Yudo Mer Mishum Rabbi Gamliel. So Rabbi Yehuda says the name of Rabban Gamliel. So here it's the name of his Rabbi. I feel Lokatavela Bet Otiot Veshem Echad. If you write two letters and they are the same letter, Chayav. Kagon, Sheish Tat Rar Gag Chach. There you go. So you have the opinion of Rabbi Yehuda that's different in our Mishnah than it is found in the Brayta. The difference is accounted for. The difference in Rabbi Yehuda's own opinion, which is found in our Mishnah. There he says there must be two different letters in order to be Chayav. And his opinion that he quotes from his name of his Rebbe, Rabbi Gamliel, which is that even if the two letters are identical, you're still Chayav, as long as it makes up a word. Now the Gemara asks, Rabbi Shimon, Hainu Tanakamo, the question that we posed before, Rabbi Shimon in the Brayta is identical to the Tanakamo. Chitema Aleph, Aleph, the Azercha, Ika Benayu, or maybe the double Aleph, is the difference between them. The Tanakh, Amasavar, Aleph, Aleph, the Azercha, lo Michayev. He won't be Michayev when you have just an Aleph, Aleph, or Bishimon Savar. Kevin, the Ite, Biglatore, Be'alma, Michayev. Since you do find them in Glatore, they are Chayav. The difference being, or the suggestion right now is, that the Tanakhama, when he says that you are only Chayav when you hit two letters, it'd only be true if you have two letters that make up a word, or make up something that makes sense when you have two letters there. But simply Aleph Aleph, which stand alone have no meaning, then we would not say that you are Chayav. On the other hand, Rabbi Shimon would say that if you have Aleph Aleph, even though in and of themselves the Aleph Aleph is meaningless, because you write Aleph Aleph on anything, nobody will know what you're talking about. I mean, until today, today now they have that when they sell the Hadassim on uh, Sukkah, you have uh, Aleph and then Aleph Aleph, you have all these different levels, grade A, grade AA, grade AAA, they do use it today, but... In their day, Aleph Aleph didn't really have any meaning. So Rabbi Shimon will say, even though it doesn't have meaning, that's still Chayav. The Tanakam will say, no, that it's not Chayav. The reason Rabbi Shimon will say Chayav is because it's used in Galatore Ba'alma. Rashi says, what does that mean, Galatore Me'alma? That they are written, Me'ot Ukavim Shomach Shefot. It's written in the amulets and the writings of the sorcerers. Shemot Korim Blashon Latin. It's interesting that he says that they read it in the Latin language. Shominim Klochus. Regilim Sufrim Nechtobem Tevot Shoshle Otiot Venom Tevot Mekom Echer. 
And these amulets and these books of sorcery, whenever they have these Aleph Aleph in there, they have no real meaning, but they are part of whatever the incantation is. And therefore, you are Chayav, according to Rabbi Shimon, because we do find such a manifestation. People do write them, even though they're not necessarily meaningful, but they do use them. Since they're used in that context, they will be considered problematic on Shabbat. So Safot says, don't say that the Aleph Aleph means, they used to have some Sidurim have this in this, Aleph Alpha is Amen V'Amen. Don't say that. That's not what it means. Because if you do say that, you don't need to write two Alephs. You only need to write one Aleph, as we saw before from the Rambam. No Trikun. If you write something that represents a bigger word, you only have to write the single letter. If you wrote a single Aleph to be Chayav, you don't need Aleph Aleph to be Chayav. Because if Aleph represented Amen, you'd be Chayav just for writing the Aleph. You don't need to write Aleph Aleph then. And so now we have this setup where the Tanakhama would say you only chayav when you have two different letters there. Not just Aleph Aleph, but it has to be two different letters. And Rabbi Shimon would be Michayev if the letters are the same. And even if the letters are meaningless when they're the same, as long as we find some manifestation in them somewhere, somebody uses letters like that even though they're not so meaningful. Mara says we have difficulty with setting up it this way because then it turns out the member of Rabbi Shimon the Chumrah Sounds like the Rishimon is more machmir here in the Mishnah. Vatanya, we have a brighter. Kodeach koshu, person who drills even a small salt. Chayav, hamigarer koshu, someone who drags something off. Sanding, even a koshu, a mabed koshu. Someone who tans, works the skins any amount, is a koshu. Kodzar, klid surah koshu. Someone who draws an image, draws a picture, paints a picture on a kli, koshu. Rabbi Shimon Omer, that's not true. Aji, kodeach et kulo. You have to drill the entire hole through. You have to get the hole to exit on the other side. It's not enough just to drill the hole, bore the hole. You have to actually get through to the second side in order to be chayav for the drilling. Vamegarer, when it comes to achi gror et kulom. Gorer means to drag. But over here, it's been used in the terminology of gorer means to shave off, to plane, or to sand down. Not like typical case of gorer, which means to drag something. Oh yeah, they're talking about dragging, but you're dragging something over it in order to scrape it down, to shave it down, to sand it down. So over here, the Tanakhan says, Gorer Kosho, any amount of sanding is considered to be problematic. Rabbi Shem says, Aji Groet Kulo. If you have a whole board there, you have a whole piece of wood there, you gotta do the whole thing before you are Chayav. Aji Abedet Kulo, same thing with the Orot. You're not Chayav until you work over the entire skin, not just the requisite amount that you need. And when it comes to drawing, Aji Tzorot Kulo, until you've designed or drawn the whole thing. So it's clear here that Rabbi Shimon thinks that it's the Kula. He has a bigger Shi'ur than the Chachamim, not a smaller Shi'ur than the Chachamim. Now in all these cases, the reason why there might be a demand for a larger Shi'ur is because these uh, Malachot are only secondary to something else, makes it that we want a more significant portion before you are Chayav. These are totally different Malachot. Right, the only reason I think the Gemara brings it down is because of Kodeach. Kodeach is the first Mishnah in our Perak. And a Kotev is the next Mishnah in the Perak. So the Gemara's assumption is that Rabbi Shimon being Machmir in the first Mishnah in the Perak would also roll over to the second Mishnah in the Perak. And that just like in the Bright, the Rabbi Shimon requires you to do the entire Melacha and does not suffice with a portion of the Melacha, the same should be true here by Tiva, that we're not going to suffice with a portion of the writing. If you intended to write the whole thing, then you need to write the whole thing in order to be Chayav. And therefore we would assume that Rabbi Shimon is the Kula and not the Chumrah. You're right, you could differentiate, you could say that they're different. Gemara assumes that if Rabbi Shimon is the Kula in the first Mishnah, he's going to be Kula throughout all of these items over here. So Gemara says, okay, if that's the case, then we can't have Rabbi Shimon be the Chumrah over here. So what are we going to do? What's the difference between Rabbi Shimon and the Tanakam? He's going to teach us this. 
until he writes the entire name. You're only chayav until you write the whole name. Not just the two letters, but the whole name. Can you really say that in Rabbi Shimon's opinion? You would think you have to write the entire name. You don't have to write a portion of the name. This is how you have to explain the difference. You would think you only chayav until you write the whole pasuk out. A portion of it. You only have to write a word from there, not the entire pasuk. That's a Tosvot ass. Because by Arig, by the other things, Rabbi Shimon doesn't make, say that you have to do the whole baguette. Nobody suggests that you have to weave a whole baguette. And nobody says that you have to buy a basket, you have to do the whole basket before your chayav. How come over here he makes a demand that you do all of them? So that's what Tosvot said, that's what I mentioned before. It says, Wait, weaving when you're making something totally new. Then you just need a small amount. So when you're doing something that's not brand new, not creating something, then you need to do a little more. If you're creating something from scratch, then we would say to you, okay, you have to do less of a significant act in order to be chayav. You need a more significant act when you're doing something on top of something that already exists. A skin, you're being ma'abedit. A kli, that you're being mitzayer on it. So you're adding, it's additive, when it's additive, you have to do something more complete versus when you're creating the clear or you're doing something from nothing. Again, the Tanakhama will say when you write the two letters that are a shame, that makes sense, and they're two different letters. Rabbi Shimon will demand that you write the entire word. And that's the difference between their opinions. Now, Rabbi Yossi Omer, now they're repeating what we saw from Rabbi Yossi in the Mishnah. Sometimes you have one on all. Sometimes you have one on each one of them. I'm Rabbi Yossi, but Rabbi Hina, my time with Rabbi Yossi. What's the reasoning behind Rabbi Yossi's opinion? It says, Achat meachat, heina meheina. That's what I explained before, that the Pasuk has, Vasa meachat meheina, is extraneous. It's unnecessary in the Pasuk. Could have either said, Vasa heina, or Asa achat. The fact that it wrote both words already makes them extraneous. In addition to that, you have a mem that is extraneous in each of the words, which is me'achat and me'heina. So therefore, you're going to come up with four drashot now. Four separate drashot, one about achat, one about heina, one about me'achat, and one about me'heina. So now the says, achat shihi heina, ve'heina shi'achat. Achat shimon. Achat, a whole word is shimon. Me'achat is shame mi shimon. The smaller word out of the bigger word. Heina, avot. Heina is the avot malachot, the primary malachot. Meheina are the derivatives of the avot, which are the toladot. Achat shihi heina. Sometimes you have one violation that results in many. That is Adon Shabbat, Vishigigat Milachot. He knows it's Shabbat, but he forgot that these Milachot are Asurot. And we know from before that you can then be culpable for 39 separate Chataot, because each Milachot stands independently, each Av stands independently. So he knows it's Shabbat, but he forgot about all the Milachot. He's going to end up, even for one violation of Shabbat, meaning that he only violated, he only one Chilu Shabbat, and one Helam. He forgot once, and then he does all these Milachot, it's going to be chayav 39 chataot, even though there's only one chilol Shabbat over here. On the other hand, heina shiachat, sometimes you have multiple violations, they end up only with one korban, which is shigigat Shabbat, v'zadom melachot. He knows that the melachot are asurot, but he forgot that it was Shabbat. Here, the forgetting of the problem was the Shabbat that he forgot, not the melachot. And over here, there's only one forgetting. There's one shikachot, which is that he forgot it was Shabbat, and therefore he's only chayav one korban, despite the fact that there are multiple 
violations over here. And that's the limo that he gets from achat, heina, heina, achat, and meachat, and meheina. Those are the four drashot that Rabbi Yossi has from the pasuk. So in summary, for all the opinions of the Tanaim that we've seen so far, we work from a Mishnah and then into the Brayta. The Tanakam of our Mishnah says that any two letters that are written, even if they have no meaning, are considered to be problematic and you are Chayav on Shabbat. That is because he says, Ben Mishem Echad, Ben Mishte Shemot. Whether they are one type of letter, whether they are two letters, makes no demand that the letters make any sense. And then Rabbi Yossi is even more machner. He says not only is it two letters, but even two Rishimot. Any markings are considered to be problematic on Shabbat. So the Tanakhama and Rabbi Yossi are the most machmir. Then we have the opinion of Rabbi Yehuda, which is actually identical to the position of the Tanakhama of the Baraita. And their opinion is that only when it's two letters that come from a bigger name that makes sense that you are Chayav. And that is Shem Mishimon Noach Minachor. And that's only when the two letters are different. On the other hand, Rabbi Yehuda, in the name of his Rebbe, Rabbi Gamliel says, that even two letters that make up a word, they make sense when they're read together. Even though they're the same letter, you're also chayav, like the sas and the chach and the gag. Those letters also you would be chayav for. And the last opinion is that of Rabbi Shimon, who believes you're not chayav until you write the entire word. So the most makeo is Rabbi Shimon, who says you need to write the entire word to be chayav. Next is Rabbi Yehuda and the Tanakhama, the Brito, who said that it has to be a word. That comes from a bigger word, but the two-letter word has to be two different letters. Then we have Rabbi Yehuda, and the name is Rabbi Rogamliel, who also says it has to be a word, but it can even be of the same letters. And then we have the Tanakhama of our Mishnah, who says any two letters are problematic. And then the most machmir is Rabbi Yossi, who says even markings, they don't even need letters, any marking is considered to be problematic. I'm Rabbi Yehuda, Shem Katan, Mishem Gadol. This is something I pointed out last time we saw this in the Gemara. There's a very big difficulty here, which is Midomi. How could you do that? Shem, Mishimon, Shem, Mishmuel are not spelled the same way. Yes, they are spelled Shin Mem, but Shem is spelled Shim Mem Sofit. Whereas Shimon and Shmuel are spelled Shim and then Mem Tucha. So how could you say that when I'm writing Shimon or I'm writing Shmuel, I ended up with Shem? How does that work? That can't be the case. You didn't end up with Shem. You ended up with a Shin Mem, but it's a Mem Tucha. It's not the way that shame should be written. The same is true by Dan and Daniel. Daniel is with a nun tucha, and Dan is with a nun sofit. So how can you do that? Why ask me, dummy? Mem de shame satum is a mem sofit. Mem de shimon patuach is open, which is a mem shuta. And Rav Chizda Zoto merit. What are you going to conclude from this? The simple conclusion from this, which is satum vaso patuach kasher. If you have a mem sofit and you make it a patuach. It would be kasher. It's not pusel the Sefer Torah. It's not pusel the word. If you wrote shame, now instead of a mem sofit, you wrote a mem patuach, it would be fine. Meitavay, is that really true? It says, uchtavtam, amzot techo bisharecha. And the Gemara Dachshin said, uchtavtam is tiva tama. That has to be a whole tiva. Now, tiva tama means that it should be a proper writing. You have to write all the words, all the letters. But not only that, you have to form the letters properly. The number one is Shloichtov Alfin Ainin Ainin Alfin. You shouldn't write an Aleph as an Ain or an Ain as an Aleph. Over there, it's not something you normally would mix up. The Ain and the Aleph are not necessarily letters that you would mix up. They're not really formed exactly the same way. Rashi claims here because they are read the same or they have the same sound, people mix them up and write an Aleph and an Ain. As opposed to the other examples here where they are the same. You shouldn't write Betin Kafin and Kafin Betin. Kaf and Bet are very similar construction. The cuff has rounded edges coming around. The bed has squared out edges, plus the kickback at the bottom. 
But it's easy, and you see this is one of the problems of many Sifrei Torah, that the Bet and the Chaf look very similar. They don't have a distinction between them. Now, Gamin Tzadin and Tzadin Gamin, you should mix up a Gimel and a Tzadi. There again, it's a little more difficult, but if you think of it this way, if you were to take a Gimel and to flip it over 180 degrees, it would start to look like a Tzadi. You have to really flip it over and invert it, it would look like a Tzadi. Basically, they're a mirror image upside down of the other letter. So that's why there's a maybe a mix-up between the Gimel and the Tzadi. Daladin, Reishin, and Reishin, Daladin is another area where we do have a lot of problems. It's a mix-up between Dalit and Reish. Reish has a curved top. Dalit has a squared out top, and again, plus a little kickback. And so that's the difference between a Reish and a Dalit. Those can easily get mixed up. Hayin, Chetin, Chetin, Hayin. Again, the difference between a Hayin and a Chet is just a small open space in the hay, if you connected the line, then you would have a chet. Vavin, yudin, and yudin, vavin. Yud and vav are easy. Vav is just a longer yud. Therefore, you could get those mixed up. And zainin, nunin, and nunin, zain. Zayin and nun, nun here we're talking about is nun sofit. A zayin, if you keep drawing the zayin down, will end up being a equivalent of a nun sofit. So that's the problem with getting mixed up between a zayin and a nun, and nun and zayin. Tetin, pipim, and pipim, titin. So that, whether it's tet and pei, Tet and Pei also, if you turn it on its side, the Tet starts to look like a Pei, so you can confuse the two of them. And Kfufim, Pshutim, those that are supposed to be bent, and then you make them Pashut, you extend them. Pshutim, Kfufim, when those that are extended, you make them folded up. The Nun Sofit is extended. The regular Nun is folded up. So you can't switch between them being folded off or not. Kaf, Pei, Tzadi, Nun, all have a letter that is a Sofit letter that is much longer than the other one, that's Kfufa. One of them is outstretched, and the other one is folded up. You can't switch between them. Memin, Samkin, Samkin, Memin. You can't confuse. You must make sure not to mix up a Mem Sofit and a Samach. Again, a Mem Sofit is a squared out. The Samach has a curve to its bottom. And then, Stumim, Tuchim, and Tuchim, Stumim. And you shouldn't mix up a Mem Stuma with a Mem Tucha. So again, there are different types of Sofit letters. If you look at the others that we had before, which is Kaf, Pei, Tzadi and Nun, their Sofit letters are just basically the letter unfolded. Instead of having it bent at the bottom, you unfold the letter and it drops down. That's how their Sofit is made. Other letters like the Mem, Mem Sofit, it's not that you open up the letter, it's a, it's a different letter. One is closed and one is open. So that's a don't make a Tucha Stuma or a Stuma Patuach. But what you see from this Breita is clearly that there's a demand to differentiate between regular letters and Sufit letters. And it's Pasul. That's a requirement of Chetav Tam. Sheik Tava Tmima. Parashah Ptucha Lo Yosena Stuma. Stuma Lo Yosena Ptucha. Can't mix up. When you see in the Chumash, you see the letter Pei or the letter Samech. One is a Parashah Ptucha and a Parashah Stuma. You can't mix those up. It's a different way of demarcating paragraphs in the Chumash. No, in the Chumash, they're demarcated as Pei Samech to tell you that in the Torah, they are a Parashah Stuma or a Parashah Ptucha. One of them is that you end that line you go to the end of the line, drop down, and start on the next line. The other one is that you leave a finite, you leave nine spaces between the end of that and just start the next paragraph. Wherever the nine spaces go, you start the new paragraph. One of those is called Tucha, one of those is called the Stuma. Machlok between the Rambam and the Rosh, and they have opposite opinions about it. So it's really difficult, because you can't really accomplish both opinions, because their opinions are opposite each other, so you have to either pass them like the Rosh, or a like the Rambam as regards to what is considered Tucha and what is considered to be Stuma. Katva Kishira, if you wrote the regular part of the Torah, like Shira, Shira, like if you think of Az Yashir in the Torah, Azinu also, either Azinu is that they're bricked on top of each other, they're straight columns. Az Yashir is where you have alternating bricks on top of each other. So that's the way that Shira is written. If you write the regular Torah, like a Shira, or Shukatavit Shira Kiyotzeba, or you wrote the Shira, like the regular part of the Torah, 
Oh, shekata shlob dio, you don't use the proper ink. Oh, shekata vetas krod bezava, you write the shemot hashem in gold. Harielo ganzu. All of these get put in geniza. So if they're put in geniza, it means that none of these torot are she wrote. And that's here where you have a switch between a sofit and a regular letter. So how can you say over here that we don't differentiate between shame mi Shimon or shame mi Shmuel? The Gemara made a conclusion. From this you can conclude that there's no difference between a mem sofit and a regular mem. Mar says that's not true. Look at the halachot of Sefer Torah. The halachot of Sefer Torah says there is a difference. And you have to put it into Geniza. There is a difference and you have to be held culpable for writing shame mi Shimon. So Gemara says, Hu damar ki haitana. He holds like this Tana, the Tanya, Rabbi Udo ben Betero Omer, Nemar Bishini Viniskehem, Vishishi Unisachea, Vishvikim Mishpatam, Harimem Yud Mem. The Sukim, these are by the carbonate of Sukkah. They have all the days of Sukkot, the seven days of Sukkot. The Torah lays out in Pashat Pinchas, the Korban for each day, which is what we read for the laning on Sukkot. In each of those days, there ends Kimishpat Veniska. Certain of them change. It's not so simple. There are a lot of words that change in there, things that change around. But here, he notes that these words change. Instead of saying niska in uh, the place on the on the first second day, it says veniske hem. And then on the uh, sixth day, instead of saying niska, it says unisacheha. So in each one of these, in this game, you have an extra mem, and unisacheha, you have an extra yud instead of the niska that's around the other days. On the Shvi, it says kemishpatam instead of kamishpat. So there's an extra mem there. Mem yud mem spells out. Mayim. Mikan Rem is the Nisukha Mayim in the Torah. Kumar wants to know, how do we know Nisukha Mayim in the Torah? This is one of the sources for it. Rabbi Yudu ben Teira's limud of Mem Yud Mem. That you can spell it out from the words that are there. Others say it's Allah Chalamosh Misinai. Others say because it says Oniskehem in plural. So that's Echad Niskeyayin, Echad Niskeymayim. They're different limudim in the Gemara and Sukkah. This is one of the limudim. What's the problem with this limud? problem with this limud is that it says Niskehem. The first mem in Mayim is learned out in Iskayim, which is a mem sofit. So it's using a mem sofit to spell out the word Mayim. So now, umidapatuach vaso satum kasher. Over here, if you have an open letter and you made it satum, Mayim should have been spelled with a mem that is patucha. Instead, it's spelled now with a mem stuma. So you see that if it was supposed to be a mem tucha, instead it's a mem sofit, that's okay. So satum nami, the opposite way around too. If it should have been closed up, vaso satum vaso patuach, and you made it open, kasher. Then it would have been kasher as well, which is that in our case of Shemi Shimon, it was supposed to be a satum, it was supposed to be a mem sofit. Instead, he wrote a open mem. He wrote a Shemi Shimon. Oh, it's so very good. It's very difficult that the Gemara brings this as a proof. Because over there, he's talking about a drusha in the pasuk. He's not talking about writing it that way. It's a drusha, we talk pasuk. So it's very hard that the Gemara brought this as a proof, but nevertheless, the Gemara used it in that light. Nevertheless, me dummy, the Gemara says, I can compare them. They have a different question on the problem, which is that. If you have a open letter, and then you make it into satum, a mem patuach, and instead you make it a mem satum, you're elevating the letter. The mem sofit is a higher level than a mem tucha. We'll explain why in a second. The mem and the samach and the luchot were miraculously there. We'll get back to this, why it was that they were miraculously there, and we'll get that at the end of the Gemara here. But let's take that as an assumption, they stood there miraculously. In the case where it's supposed to be a mem sofit, and you drop it down to an open mem, you're downgrading the letter. So maybe if you upgrade the letter, it's fine. Who says when you downgrade the letter, that'll be also okay? Are the letters that require have sofit to them? 
Again, nun tzadi pei chaf all have letters where you extend out the bottom of the letter. Mem has the open mem and the stuma, which is the closed mem of the mem sofit. But matzpach is the acronym for those letters that require a sofit. Over here it says matzpach sofim amrum, that they were brought by the nevi'im. What says the tispra? How could it be that the nevi'im brought in the letters, the sofit letters? Vaktiv, elah mitzvot. What does it mean, Elah mitzvot? She'en navi rashed chadesh tavar miyata. A navi cannot be mechadesh anything new that that wasn't there before. I mean, that the navi can interpret, the navi can uphold or reiterate that which is written in the Torah. He can't invent something new. That's why we saw earlier in the Masechta that by Yechezkel, that there was a difficulty by Sefer Yechezkel, which seemed to have things that are soter, divreha, Torah. Therefore, they, they wanted to put it into Genizah, because it seemed to have things that were soter, the Torah. So, Ela Mihava Havet. They had the letters. They had the Sophie letters and the regular letters. But, Midalohaviyadinhaibemsadevahabasofteva. They didn't know which went where. They didn't know which went at the beginning of the words. The middle of the words and which went at the end of the words. And the Nevi'im came and Tabdinu. And that's what they set up. That the Sofits go at the end and the Tuchot go in the middle of the words. That doesn't make sense. That's still a Chiddush. That's still a change. Because if they didn't know until then, then they were writing Sifrei Torah and they had to write them in some way. That means that the Navi is changing the way things were done until now. Ela, this is similar to other things that are written in the Gemara Megillah, Shachachum, V'chazru V'yisdum. That they had, originally they had the Mesorah about how to do it, and then they lost the Mesorah, and the Nevi'im just reinstituted and brought back the original Mesorah. So that's why we have this way that they are laid out, the letters of Tuchot and Stumot. Now the question about, why is it that it's an elevation, that it's an upgrade to go to a stuma? That's Guf, Amr Rav Chista, Mem V'samach Shibluchot B'neis Hayu Omdim. They stood there miraculously. Amr Rav Chista, why is that? Tav Shibluchot Nikra B'fnim Nikra B'chutz. The Tav, the etching in the Luchot, went all the way through. It was etched completely through the stone, so that it could be seen on the other side. So now we know what the problem is. A Samach and a Mem are the only letters that have no attachment to the main board. They're completely circular and they have something in the middle. Mem Sufi and a Samach. So because of that, they were miraculous letters. They stood there miraculously. The insides of those letters stood there miraculously. So that means that Mem, the upgrade from a Mem Tuchat to a Mem Stuma, is upgrading from a letter that's normal to a Mem letter that was miraculous inside of the Luchot. And that's why it's called an upgrade. You go on, and Eddie says, you can read them on both sides. You go on, Nevuv is Bovan, Saru is Baras. Now even though these words are meaningless, and it's strange because none of these appear in the Aserat that he brought, unless you buy these examples, that if you look on one side, you would see Samach Reish Vav, if you went to the other side, you'd be able to read it, you know, right to left. It would read as, Vav Reish Samech. They went all the way through, that's what it meant to carved all the way through the Luchot. Another interesting thing that the Gemara does not bring down is, that there is one instance in Tanakh, where a Memstuma is used as the first letter of a word. Right. Amar Misra, by the time of Chizkiyahu HaMelech, by Yishayahu Navi says about Kiyahu HaMelech, and the Gemara Dashin says that, had he sung Shira after winning the battle in Yerushalayim where Hashem killed all the people, that he would have been the Mashiach, that would have been the Geula. But because there's a Mems Tumat beginning the word to teach that, it was Nistama Gates, that they did not come about because he did not sing Shira. But there the word Marbet starts out with a Mems Sofit, which is another indication that maybe the Mems Sofit being at the beginning of the word is okay. But changing the other way around, which is putting a mem at the end of the word, may not be okay, because we have no example of that throughout Tanakh. Okay, we'll stop over here.